Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Now, I'm excited because in the studio with us today, wearing his cycling, running Ironman gear, it's Matt Hughes. And down the line, wearing, well, I just like to imagine what he's wearing. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. It's George Culkin. Later on, we're going to be talking about the Premier League relegation battle and the Nations League. But we start with something far, far more important. That's right. (laughs) Dean Smith has left Brentford. Natalie, your beloved Brentford. He's taking a new job at a club in the Midlands called Aston Villa. Yes, something. Who I believe actually won the European Cup back in 1982. Uh, They had to agree compensation with Brentford. They couldn't get him for free. So, Natalie, Mm. your thoughts. Is there a price at which you would have let... Dean Smith go? I mean, if, if you love somebody, you let them go, right? Yeah, and, and Brentford are known for that, where we know that there's always going to be a price. We're kind of are seen as a stepping stone. That's that's fair enough. We've always kind of believed that's our system. That's the way we are. We're always going to be that kind of club. Um, so I fully expected Dean to go at some point. Whether I expected him to go as soon as he has is another matter. Although I do realise that being a boyhood Villa fan... It was always going to be difficult for him to turn that one down. So I, I kind of am- used to work at Walsall as well, used to which work is at Villa's feeder club, right? <laughs> Possibly, um, and also his family still live up there. So there's obviously huge connections to the Midlands. So I don't blame him at all for, for wanting this move. And I, in a way, I think he deserves it. You know, he's he's if you like, he's done his apprenticeship at Walsall. He's done it at Brentford. Why not go for it and, and try it out at Villa? That dirty feeling is starting to to go now. I, I'm not feeling as. And- my understanding upset. is he was also pretty classy about how he went about this in terms of, of informing the club, informing the owner. You know, it's not like he was going and sneaking around mm. behind anybody's back like perhaps one or two other managers have done when they seize an opportunity at a better club, right? Yeah, well, that, but that is him. He's a, he's a very genuine, likable man. A really, He's a great manager, I think. He's done wonders for Brentford. But he's also such a nice person when you meet him. So I, I'm not surprised that he would have handled it that way. All right, so he's a wonderful dinner guest. But in terms <laughs> of a manager, for those who have not seen Brentford play, what are his principles? What, what Does he have a preferred formation? Yeah, we're very um, much 4-3-3. Very expansive. We like to use the pitch to our advantage. We like to attack. It's a joy to watch, I have to say. But I also think what he's very good at is he's also a very good man manager. So I think he's very emotionally intelligent, which I think is a wonderful attribute for, for any manager to have. And I think that is a, a, an extra bonus to him. Villa, say this in the nicest possible way, have players who are probably more famous and better paid and mm-hmm. might have bigger egos than some of the, the guys at Brentford. If I was to ask you who's the biggest name he's ever managed at Brentford, who would you say? Oh, gosh, that's difficult to say. Because, I mean, you could say of, of recent times you've got Henrik Dalsgaard, who obviously was at the World Cup, and Andreas Bjelland as well, who was the Denmark captain uh, for a while. Um, you've got Josh McEachran, obviously, with his Chelsea credentials. Um 
but we're not as you say we're not a team full of stars you know we're we're, we're a team we're not indiv- a team made of individuals george you're, you're a close personal friend of steve bruce when teams change managers obviously you know you have to work with the players who are there who are assembled by a different manager how do you think dean smith's principles and style of play and philosophy based on what natalie said are going to translate to steve bruce's crew i'm certainly not a close personal friend of steve bruce i'm i'm you know, I worked with him when he was at Sunderland and I've kept in touch and I really like him. What did he value? What what, what were his characteristics as a manager um, and how might they relate to, to Dean Smith? I think he was a good man manager. He's not sort of a, you know, he's not a coaching manager. You know, he had a good relationship with players and he was good at spotting players and and bringing them through. And, you know, he has a tremendous record, you know, getting clubs out of the, out of the championship and building good, good team spirit. I think one of the areas where Steve sort of lets himself down is that he's one of those managers who always say in public, it's not about tactics. It's not about systems. It's about kind of players and stuff like that. And he comes across as, as sort of unsophisticated, but I actually, you know, I think having seen him work a little bit, close hand I think that's kind of unfair to himself and he he does bring in people around him who are kind of very good at their jobs and he links in you know he links in well with with them I mean the, what I would say about Steve at Villa is that in personal terms it's been the most it'll have been the most difficult year of his life I think he's handled that very well getting the team to the playoffs last last season was you know was a good achievement was a very good personal achievement I certainly don't think he deserved some of the personal vitriol that he had to kind of put up with in the last few weeks. Having said that, their record that this season has been pretty awful for a team that should be sort of going for a promotion this season to be to be 15th, you know, isn't good enough. I'm sure he wouldn't have complaints in that in that respect. But all I would say is that, you know, he's lost both of his parents this year and he's he's been combining his job with coming up and down the motorway every week. And um, I hope he has a good rest now, put it that way. After they got relegated, they spent a lot of money the first two years. Um, so they're very, very close to breaching the EFL's um, profit and sustainability rules. So basically, essentially, if they don't get promoted this season, they'll be in breach of the rules, likely to be docked a lot of points next season, up to 15, I think, and be fined. So bottom line is they need to get promoted this year or there's going to be a massive fire sale of players and they're going to be a real struggle to get back up next year so it's a, it's a gamble for Dean Smith and, and it will find it difficult you said if they get promoted is that because if they get promoted obviously they're going to have all this other money coming in or is it because once you get promoted you're like ha ha footballer you can't touch me anymore I mean, we, well, they're going to get a huge cash injection. So, so it is the cash injection. Yeah. So the football league could still punish a club after they get promoted. Yes, right? as we've seen with QPR exactly. and Bournemouth and I believe Leicester. But obviously, the football league can't dog them points if they're no longer in the football league. So it just becomes a, you know, a significant but a manageable fine. What's also attracting headlines uh, outside of Griffin Park is probably the fact that it's John Terry who is joining the coaching staff, but he's not. The assistant, is that right? Um, well, I think he's got the title assistant manager, but what I thought was interesting was um, when they announced it last night, they made no mention, Villa made no mention of the fact that Richard O'Kelly, who is Dean Smith's assistant... Yeah, see, I, I thought, oh, maybe Brentford, he's sticking around. But he's not sticking no, around. No, I know that. <laughs> he's definitely going to Villa. That was part of the compensation package agreed between the clubs yesterday. Um, I just thought it was a bit odd they didn't mention that. They're clearly trying to kind of promote John Telly's role and sort of, you know, show him off, but... If O'Kelly, who's been with Dean Smith all the way from Warsaw, Brentford, is with him, he's really going to be his number two, isn't he? So 
I guess John Terry will have a role. I think he was quite tight with the players last year when he played with them, but it just kind of adds to the intrigue of why exactly the uh, very ambitious former England captain is taking his first job in coaching as a sort of number two stroke three at Villa. It's interesting. Could he have been a number one somewhere, do you think? Well, he wanted to be number one at Aston Villa. No, I know, <laughs> but obviously they... I mean, was it a case where they said, look, we don't think you're you're quite ready yet. Stay, learn. You're going to be working with, with, a, with a very ambitious, highly rated young manager. You'll pick up a lot of things. You'll combine them with all the stuff you learned before. Because I presume if you keep John Terry around your club, it's not because he's good for PR, because he obviously isn't. Um, you're doing it because you value what he has to bring, and you think that potentially on the football side, like you said, he was tight with a lot of the players and whatever else, you think that he can grow into a real manager or some other leader at your club, right? Yeah, but that's a very dangerous model to kind of, kind of groom your successor. Uh, you're kind of building in a creative tension within the management team that doesn't need to be there. I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think, so why are they doing it? Uh, I think they, they wanted a big name, definitely. I mean, you don't talk to Thierry Henry if you're wanting really to appoint a guy from the middle of the championship, no disrespect to, to Brentford. Um, so they clearly, you only clearly want a little bit of stardust around the place. Whatever you think of John Terry, he certainly brings that. And I think they were genuinely impressed with the way he, his leadership skills last year. I mean, he has got leadership skills. There's no question about that. The question is, can he adapt from being the leader on the pitch? Can he adapt from being the alpha male and kind of be in the background and not attempt to assert his authority? Looking over his career, there's been very many instances of he's not being able to do that. I mean, he's older now, more mature. Maybe he will be able to adapt, but he's going to have to adapt because, you know, when he was captain of Chelsea, he often thought he was the manager of Chelsea. Um, Sometimes he so, was. It's okay, yeah, I mean... Well, it's, you used the term there, alpha male. I mean, would you describe Dean Smith as an alpha male? <laughs> no, or? I wouldn't. No, um... I, do you know, I find the whole John Terry appointment very intriguing and perhaps this is just because I've got my Brentford hat on and, and I'm still a little bit, it's still a little bit raw for me. But the fact that John Terry is kind of forced upon Dean Smith, I find that all very, very odd that it's, you know, it wouldn't have been his choice because he's never worked with John Terry before. So why he would suddenly be there, yeah, that's fine, I'll have John Terry on board. It just seems a little bit forced and therefore in my eyes I see it as Avila just lining him up to be a potential manager few years down the line and therefore perhaps Dean Smith's reign won't be as long as he would like it to be. I don't know. That's just, as I say, that's me being a bit raw and thinking maybe Dean shouldn't have left. But anyhow. Um, but George, what do you think about John Terry? Can you see him as a number two or number three? Well, I suppose there's, there is a little bit of a trend of that at the moment. You know, Thierry Henry has done that. Roy Keane is doing that at the moment with Ireland. Um, it's not such an unusual career pathway and I suppose that I mean it's slightly different in Roy Keane's case because he has been a manager sort of elsewhere but I quite like that idea of players taking that route because I think most people would say that however many courses you take and all that kind of stuff nothing can really prepare you for the barrage of information and demands on your time and responsibilities that being a manager uh, brings but actually going in at that level, will sort of do that. I mean, to a certain extent, anyway. You know, I remember Gareth Southgate talking about the same thing as at Middlesbrough, that a very intelligent man, a very reasonable man, really pivotal at Middlesbrough in the dressing room, but when he made that move from from the dressing room to the, to the sort of dugout, nothing, you know, nothing could have prepared him for it. I quite like that idea of being on the inside, 
seeing what it's all about. It does sort of show a lack of ego in some senses. I'm not sure that's something that John Terry would ever be accused of, but, you know, actually going in and submitting to somebody else's authority and seeing what it's all about, I think I think it's an interesting, interesting way of doing it. Some news just reaching us as we're recording this podcast. It's some sad news emerging from Aston Villa. Their former chairman, Doug Ellis, has died aged 94. He um, chaired Aston Villa twice for a combined 31 years before selling the club to Randy Lerner in 2006, someone who was very integral to the recent success of the club. Sad news that Doug Ellis has died aged 94. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. Subscribe now. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. England travel to Croatia on Friday night in the Nations League. It is a World Cup semi-final rematch, but it will be played behind closed doors after Croatia fans marked a swastika on their pitch ahead of their Euro 2016 qualifier against Italy. Uh, Gareth Southgate has named possibly the most interesting England squad for quite some time. Jaden Sancho, the headliner, just 18 years old. He's the top assist maker in the Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund. Matt, what do we make of his selection? I think it's not. It's in, it is interesting. I was, quite, I was at St George's Park last week when Gareth Southgate named the squad. Um, most journalists, we tried to get a few names before and who would like it to be in it. And frankly, no one expected Sancho or Mason Mount to be in. We, we thought James Madison would, would be called up on the back of his excellent start to the Premier League with Leicester. But Sancho is, you know, he's having a real go at Dortmund. He's not starting, but he's coming off the bench and making a real impact against tired defenses, which I imagine will be the sort of the most he can hope to achieve over the next um, next two games for England. He started Dortmund's last game, and it was the first start of mm. the season. The, the, the absurd stat, and I realize, you know, some people can turn their nose up at stats, but I think I'm right in saying is he has six assists this season, which is not only is it the most in Europe. When you consider that he's played something like 220 it's minutes. It's every 25 minutes, isn't it? It's mm, something, yeah, it's something yeah. completely out of this world. Yeah. No, I, you, you expect some level of regression to the mean, I would assume. But what, what I find interesting here is that you know he's, he's an attacking midfielder. James Madison is obviously an attacking midfielder. Mason Mount, you've probably seen more of him than, than I have, but he's more of a two-way midfielder, I guess, but... You know, very comfortable going forward as well. Is this an area where I think England can really, really use some help beyond Dele Alli and Jesse Lingard? Yeah, I mean, this, that was clearly well, of course the, both unavailable. Clearly, the area of weakness in the World Cup wasn't it? A, a midfield player who could make the difference in tight games. There were lots of articles written after the World Cup, for example. Whereas England's Christian Eriksen, and, and then they don't have one. I mean, Lingard and Dele Alli are both. They run with the ball primarily and get into threatening spaces, but neither of them particularly known for their passing. So it is an area of weakness. I think Sancho's a slightly different player. He's been largely playing wide for for Dortmund, but um, Madison and Mount both operate centrally. And yeah, we're, we're desperate for players like that to emerge, which is obviously why they've um, you know rolled the dice with such young, inexperienced players because there just aren't any other options out there. George, um, when England fail at a major tournament, um, which has happened with some regularity, uh, they do what most nations do. They have big root and branch reviews and white papers and stuff like that. Is the fact that there's so many 
young English players. And these guys may or may not become superstars, but they're all really technically gifted. Some people might have seen Mason Mount play against United in the, in the League Cup. James Madison, we see him in the Premier League. Jaden Sancho, if you don't watch the Bundesliga, take my word for it. He's very good on the ball. Is this an outcome of of, of some of the, the changes that perhaps the FA made or, 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 or the EPPP and stuff like that, the reform of the academies, all the stuff that people have talked about? Should we maybe be finding somebody who put all the wheels in motion for this 10 years ago and give them a little bit of credit? Do we know who it is who who did this, or is it just an accident? Well, I mean, I, th- I think there has been that move to make English players more comfortable on the ball and more comfortable in possession. I think that, you know, that has been a theme, and that's been a theme for a fair amount of time now, where kind of England England has been outclassed in major tournaments, things like that. I'd, I think that's been a theme that you can see in the Premier League. The 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 problem, which is, this is kind of answering that question in a different way, the problem remains that English players are not getting enough enough time. So yes, I mean I think I think that's absolutely the case. There has been a reaction to make to make sort of uh, English players more more technically accomplished. What's sort of fascinating about this latest squad, of course, as you say, you know, players being looked at who are playing abroad and players who are who are also sort of playing in the championship. So there is this move towards youth that Southgate has definitely kind of promoted that is continuing and also his huge concern which is about players not being given enough time on the pitch you know has driven him to sort of look look elsewhere I'm not saying he wouldn't have looked there anyway but players are being rewarded for playing football and are being called up on that basis which is encouraging and you would hope in that sense it might persuade a few more people to to look at possibilities either abroad or or dropping down a dropping down a division. Um, Jaden Sancho, just for those who, who don't know, he, he, he was obviously he was at Manchester City and then he ended up moving to Borussia Dortmund. Now, viewed from the outside, I'm assuming he didn't move because Borussia Dortmund gave him a lot more money. Was it, from what you know, Husey, was it a case that he looks at this and he says, you know, they've got an incredible first team, they're willing to give me a big contract, but then they are, I'm also competing with, you know, Phil Foden and Brian Diaz and stuff like this. Maybe I'm better off going to some place where I might make less money initially, but there's a much clearer pathway for playing time. Is this why he left, or was it? Do, do we know anything about this? Yeah, essentially. I mean, he didn't think he was competing with Phil Foden. He thought he was competing with David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling. He wants to be in the first team, um, and no, that, that, isn't, that isn't going to happen. Being like, you know, that the, there's only so many kids you can put in your match day squad, right? So when he looks around him, he sees this incredible first team, and he sees another youngster like Foden who is also ridiculously gifted, right? Sure, but I think my point was, such as his ambition, that he wasn't happy to be just, you know, in the match day squad and play for five minutes in the community shield like Phil Foden. He wanted wanted to go and play. And the thing to remember about um, these kids, a lot of them have come through playing in the youth version of the Champions League, so they're used to flying around Europe. They get seen by the other big clubs in Europe. They make contacts there. Uh, he's from London anyway, so he's left home very young, 12, 13, he's used to being away from home and the world, the world is a lot smaller place for this generation, which I think is um, pretty heartening until we shut the border next March, of course. Finally, George, you're on island duty this week and you're writing a, a column on Roy Keane, which we can read about on Saturday, can't we? Yes, more sort of a, more of a feature, really. The idea behind that was after sort of, I'm sure people remember, before the Wales game last 
month. Hariata withdrew from the Ireland squad after a sort of dispute with Roy Keane. That's fairly well established. And as always with Keane, that sort of provoked a lot of a, a lot of headlines. And the kind of task I was charged with was kind of trying to write a piece about what it's like to work with Roy Keane or work under Roy Keane or both. And we've got to the stage in the cycle where people are asking, is he not more trouble than he's worth? All that kind of stuff. And that led to a debate, certainly in our newspaper, where Matthew Said and Henry Winter both wrote at length about Keane. And I've kind of gone back to, to some of the people that he's worked with to try and get a sense of that. And, um, you know, a very complex man, a very driven man. Part of what I wanted to do was to actually remind people that sort of in spite of how this is framed sometimes, and in spite of what Keane himself says, his time at Sunderland was absolutely extraordinary. And I wanted to kind of it sounds very pretentious. I wanted to sort of reclaim that a little bit because he did come into Sunderland when they were bottom of the championship. They lost five of their first games, and at the end of that season, they were promoted as as champions. And um, he didn't just light a spark beneath the team; he did it beneath the city. And it was an incredible. Even though they were in, even though they're in the championship, there was Sunderland were frequently back page news. There were sometimes front page news because of Keane. Um, and it did go it did go wrong towards the end, and certainly the fit wasn't right at Ipswich at all, which is kind of quite interesting. But anyway, I've spoken to Martin O'Neill, I've spoken to Niall Quinn, I've spoken to David Connolly, who was a player for Keane at Sunderland, and I'm trying to sort of build a sort of more rounded picture about about what it's like to work with Roy. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And we've got one for you on this podcast. The Brighton defender, Lewis Dunk, has been called up to the England squad. But which Brighton centre-half played for England at the 1982 World Cup? Mm. So you're going to stick around to the end of the podcast and uh, we will tell you 1982 World Cup. Now is I think Paul Mariner, okay. an injured Brian Robson, or just to kind of assume Brian Robson. <laughs> I, it's funny because I, I actually stumbled across a YouTube, this is a total digression, but I stumbled against a YouTube clip of uh, Brian Robson highlights. Okay. I think people don't quite, I know you get Captain Marvel and all that, I don't think people quite realize how ridiculously good Brian Robson was. And I know he gets a lot of praise, but man. So you'd recommend us YouTubing him? Yeah, or time travelling into the past, kidnapping <laughs> him and better. dropping him into the England midfield. <laughs> OK, it may be the international break, but that is sweet relief for the teams at the bottom of the Premier League. And seeing as though we have Matt Hughes in the blue and white corner of Huddersfield, let's say, and George Colkin in the black and white of uh, Newcastle. We thought we'd have to discuss the relegation battle. Those clubs form two of the bottom three with Cardiff at the foot of the table. The only three teams yet to win a game this season. Uh, Matt, almost all pre-season pundits were in agreement before a ball was kicked. It was going to be Cardiff and Huddersfield plus one other for the drop. Have we seen anything to persuade us otherwise? In a word, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think... They've both been defending pretty well, um, and they've not been getting humped, but they've both really struggled to score goals, and it's difficult to um, to see that changing. Um, I've not actually seen Huddersfield much, but what I'm told, they've actually been playing quite well and haven't 
got the points they should have done. They they they're unfortunate to lose to a Zaha wonder goal for Palace, and then I think um, last weekend had the better of a draw against Burnley. But I mean, in a way, that's even more concerning because if you're playing well and not winning, doesn't bode well. So um, yeah, I think both those teams will be going down. Um, when when Huddersfield came up, obviously uh, David Wagner came in and he played a very distinctive style of football, which which was a lot of fun to uh, a lot of fun to watch and we saw some of it I think last year towards the end of the year it looked to me like you know when they were desperate and justifiably so about having a go at this it became more about parking the bus in, in certain games I think specifically of a Chelsea game late on and so on where you know they just said All right, we need a point let's just get this done um, I know you haven't seen much of them this year but is the feedback that maybe the football they played early on maybe he felt isn't sustainable for this group of players in, in the Premier League, and so you had to adopt uh, or adapt or evolve a little bit. Yeah, I think when they got promoted, they would dominate possession seventy percent and keep the ball very well. But they just the gulf is so big. You can uh, clone they, Aaron they, Moy. They, they can't. No. They, well, that's the thing. The, the the best players are still the players that they had in when they were in the middle of the Championship, which tells you something about how hard it is to um, recruit quality Premier League players without busting the bank. Um, I mean, they're not a long ball team. They pass the ball, but um, against the you know, against the top six in particular, they do seed possession and defend very deep and um, have men, men behind the ball. Uh, I mean, their problem's just goals, isn't it? They didn't really have a goal scorer last year. Mounier probably got six or seven. He looks really good sometimes, and then He's, other times he looks he not so good. He does look good, but he doesn't take his chances, and they're not going to have many, so you, you need a goal scorer to take them. Uh, physically, he's good. He works very hard, but he's just not top. It's just not Premier League quality, really. I mean, you know, if they, if they had Glenn Murray, they'd be fine. <laughs> or a Jermaine Defoe. George, um, Newcastle have made history, losing their first four home games for the first time ever, and what do you make of it overall? And is the, the narrative that I think people outside the Northeast have is that most of these players either aren't good or, 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 or they're injured, some of the few ones who are very good. Um, and if they stay up, anything good they do, is it's all going to be down to, to, to Rafa. Well, I this mean... It's more complex than that, I assume, yeah? Yeah, I mean, so firstly, they've already played Tottenham, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal... Man United this season. So, I mean, they've had a pretty horrendous, <laughs> pretty horrendous start. I mean, that's the first thing to say. So, I think we always knew that it was going to be difficult. They had an awful run last season and they came through it. So, I have kind of two concerns. One is a quite a specific one, which is that they didn't do enough in the summer. And, I mean, I think Newcastle's squad overall was a little bit better at the end of it. I don't particularly think the first team was at all. And you've got other teams who have who really have strengthened. And I suppose the other thing is that they finished 10th last season, but, I mean, even Rafa has said that could and arguably should have been 15th. It wasn't 10th and plain sailing. It was 10th and a real, real struggle. And they haven't got better. I mean, they haven't got better. So it was always going to be difficult and arguably more difficult this season. I think, uh, though, that there's also something of a kind of existential crisis going on at Newcastle. There always is, so I'll interject that. But... For the first two full seasons under Benitez, there has been a clear goal. The goal in the first year was to go up, which they did. The goal last season was to stay up, which they did. What's the goal this season? Well, it's to stay up again. And possibly it's the same sort of thing at Huddersfield and teams 
in the Premier League for the second season, there is that how do you get the adrenaline going again? Now, at Newcastle, you've also got that kind of the, the situation where Rafa's in the final year of his contract and there's that concern about this huge figure that came in recognising what a sort of beautiful club Newcastle could be if they got it right, no longer believes that and is likely to leave. You've still got the kind of contentious ownership of Mike Ashley and he's reappeared. You've got fans starting to protest and all that kind of thing. And that is the kind of concern. You've got those two sort of things going on. I mean, I think and hope that they'll be all right, but that is mainly because of because of the manager. They have an honest an honest group of players, but motivating that group of players and everybody has to buy into something. And I'm not sure what the idea is to buy into this season. Really quickly, just because I really liked him when I saw him last season, Jamal Lascelles has has missed, I think, four or five games uh, this year. And maybe given the strength of schedule, many of them were games that you wouldn't have expected Newcastle to win. But what's the deal with him? And am I getting a little bit overexcited by how good he really is? Um, I think he was very good. I think he was very good last season. Um, he's been a, he's become a very big personality. He's one. Of, he's certainly one of the players that has been improved enormously under under Benitez. My my concern with the sales is that you know there were stories linking him with a with a move away over the summer, and you know is he is he believing his own publicity a bit? Um, I mean, that's not, you know, that's kind of probably a bit harsh. I mean, I think he's been a very important captain. I'm not sure how many teams in the top six he would get into at this point. But I think he's been a good player and he's been a very important captain. And, you know, I think I think he has the same, I think he has the same problems as, as everybody else that um, once you've done what they did last season. I mean, I think I remember I spoke to him in the summer when they were in, Ireland for a training camp and he basically sort of said I don't want to hear anybody talking about relegation I don't and it's like mm, okay but I know what he's trying to say he wants to progress but I don't think the club is progressing and so in that circumstance it's quite easy for players to regress and uh, you know I think as I say I think there's a sort of crisis of confidence afflicting the whole the whole club at the moment Okay, Gab, it's time now for our weekly predictions game, and we have to start with the lottery that is the Nations League uh, Croatia against England Friday night. It should be interesting because Croatia, of course, will be playing um, in an empty stadium. So we'll hang it, funnily enough. Um, I, I think Croatia, post World Cup, I, I think there's definitely a hangover. It's reflected in the performance of, of a lot of the Croatian players. I think this is a big opportunity for England's young guns. I'm going to predict an England victory. Really? 1-0, yeah. Really? Okay. Well, I'm going for a slightly more cagey affair. I'm going for a one-all draw. We've got Holland against Germany, the Simon Cooper derby. Well, Who do you go with? Mm, the good guys in orange or the baddies in white? Oh, I'm going for the baddies. I know. I mean, the Netherlands are still going through that transitional period, aren't they? They've had a few retirements yeah, and everything. They've been transitioning for many years. I know, I know. But they're now going through a lot with the retirements. They've obviously got Ronald Koeman there as well. I'm, I'm going for a 2-1 win for Germany. Yeah. I think it's a derby. Anything can happen. I'm going yeah. for a 1-1 draw. What about Italy heading to Poland on Sunday? They played... Against Ukraine, that was a draw, wasn't it? Italy. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, um, in fact, Italy, I think, haven't scored more than a single goal, other than Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure if that counts. 
against anybody in, in what feels like several years. But they looked really, really good against Ukraine for an hour or so. They created loads of chances. They played with midfielders who can actually pass the ball and, and the, they held the little fellas up front. Um, I feel moderately good about this. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to say Italy to win 2-1. Ooh. Well, I again, I'm going for a one-all draw. How imaginative. I know. I, I'm really quite boring. <laughs> What's the next one for us? Well, it's Oxford and Plymouth. Now, um, I'm told these are the bottom two clubs yeah. in League One. Um, doing well. They play on Saturday. They just have just the one win this season. Yeah. Well, Oxford's win came back in August. Plymouth's solitary win did come in their last game, so they might think they got a bit of momentum. But guess what I'm going for? A goalless draw. <laughs> I was tempted by that. But then I've just been informed <gasps> that I've actually heard of the Oxford manager uh, yes, yes. because uh, he used to be the MK Dons mm-hmm. manager. And uh, because the guy who looks after him or looked after him is also the guy who looks after the cuddly Paul Ince and the big brained <laughs> Frank Lampard. Okay. So for that, that would be Mr. Carl Robinson, incidentally. So for that reason and none other, I'm going to predict Oxford to win 1-0. Oh, OK. Uh, and then on Friday night at Prenton Park, Tranmere and Macclesfield uh, meet. And of course, the visitors, the only team now in the Football League yet to win a game. And they sacked their manager, Mark Yates, this week. So any inkling for this one? For a long time, Macclesfield was the answer to a trivia question, which may or may not still be true in the sense that their ground was the only ground in the Football League, which was in a toy council. I have no idea if that's still the case or oh. not. But for that reason, given <laughs> it's as good as we can <laughs> predict, given that uh, there's some division in the Conservative Party and uh, there's people like shouting Jeremy Corbyn's name. And I'm assuming Tranmere is probably more left-leaning, given that it's Merseyside. I'm going to go Tranmere. <laughs> okay. What's the score, though? 2-0. Uh, well, I am going for a Tranmere win. There um, you go. Use the same lot for presumably it, for, for the exact same reasons. Absolutely. I, I oh, Word for word, pretty much. Uh, but I'm going for a slightly tighter affair. I'm going for a 1-0 win. So well, there you go. There you have it. For those who've, uh, who aren't keeping track, and I'm sure you all are, I'm still ahead. 4-3 bit. Natalie is somehow narrowing uh, my Somehow. Lead. Somehow. Okay, just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked you which Brighton centre-back played for England at the 1982 World Cup. That's a bit of a tricky one, I think. Uh, yes, unless you're a Brighton fan yeah. over the age of 40, in which case you would have immediately <laughs> uh, been shouting, Steve Foster! Steve, Steve Foster. Foster! One of many Steve Fosters, I, I, I presume. But uh, this one, this is the Brighton one. This is the special one. He won three caps, one of which came in that 1-0 win over Kuwait. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Hughes and George Colkin. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times as well to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. You can search a time subscription for more information, £1 a month for a three-month trial. I will be back on Monday as England prepare to take on Spain. We'll see you then. Big Nations League grudge match, that. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.